0: Good morning to everyone here and online. Thank you for coming. Today we're going to be continuing our series on the Holy Spirit. And I'm Cricket, the pastor of CARE here, in case you don't know me. Hi. So we're looking today at our passage in John 16:1 through 15, where Jesus is telling the disciples he's leaving. He's told them already in chapter 14, but he's telling them again and giving them some last words. A lot of last words. So we're going to focus mostly on the ones about the Holy Spirit, not everything, because we don't have time for that today. (laughs) And I'm the same way when I get ready to leave on a trip. I have to tell the puppy sitter all kinds of stuff about the rotten little dog, because she needs meds. Yeah, she looks cute there. Don't let that fool you. (laughs) She's a rascal. But I have to tell about the meds, her quirks. She has a lot of them. She's opinionated. And she's going to try and pull every trick in the book. Because she thinks about, what can I do? How can I get you next? She's just that kind of cute little dog. So I have to leave them all those information and instructions and things to watch out for. And what she's doing. And the vet's number, just in case. And, you know, that's what Jesus is doing. Giving these last minute instructions. Better ones than I give, I'm sure. Absolutely positive <laughs> But I want to set the scene for us here. So it's the Last Supper has been eaten. Jesus has already washed the feet of the disciples and shown them how to love one another and how to serve one another. And now he's going to tell them again that he's going away, but he's not going to leave them alone. He's not going to have them be abandoned and orphaned. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. And right before he gives them that good news, he has some other stuff to say. Some not-so-good news, see? And it says in verses 1 through 4, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith, for you will be expelled from the synagogues. And the time is coming when those who kill you will think that they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they never knew the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now, so that when they happen, you will remember my warning." I didn't tell you earlier, because I was going to be with you for a while longer. So he's giving them the bad news first. Things are going to get rough after he leaves. And it's going to be so bad that they may even say, I'm done with it, I don't want Jesus anymore, it's too much. So he wants them to know that. He spells out some of what these things are that are going to cause them to want to do that. He says that not only is he leaving, This man that they have followed for three years. This man that they have given up everything for. One who has done stuff that no other human being has done. He's healed lepers. He's made the blind to see. He's made the lame to walk. He even walked on water himself. But their future is going to be topsy-turvy. Because after he leaves, they're going to be expelled, possibly, from the synagogues. The synagogue was different than our church. Our church is in a community here. We are a part of it, but not really. That was their community. The synagogue was their life. They all gathered around it if they weren't at the temple. That was their place of learning God's word, of having all the milestones in their lives. That's where they would get married. That's where they went to pray. And there were some that even said, if you didn't pray in the, the synagogue, it didn't count. It's where they celebrated their feasts and their holy days and heard from the Torah, the word of God. And everybody congregated there, not just some from the community. That was where they all hung out. They all congregated, all got together. So to be cut off from that would mean that they would be in the community but not be able to participate or be a part of it. So they'd be there but not be involved. They were shunned. It wouldn't be part of their life anymore or their children's lives. It was a horrible thing. Awful. So he warned them about that. And then he gave them one other little tiny bitty warning. Yeah, there are going to be people who are going to try and kill you. Yeah, just no problem. It's like, wait, what? And, he, and worse than that, they people who are coming after you are going to think that they're doing service to God. That's pretty serious stuff. Anyone who killed his followers was going to think they were serving and even worshiping God. And we know that Paul did that, the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, went after them. He thought he was doing the right thing. He was convinced until God stopped him short. So can you imagine them hearing that they're going to be expelled from the synagogue, Jesus is leaving them, and they're going to be possibly killed, and it's like, Ugh! do you hear what I heard? You can almost see them discussing it and looking at each other with, yi, yi, what's going on? This is not what they expected when they signed up to follow him. So there's likely confusion and shock and fear. And Jesus realizes this, and he says, I know this is really hard for you to hear. This is really sad for you. So he then gives them the good news yay! We want the good news. He says, I'm sending someone else to be with you. You're not going to be alone, not going to be abandoned. You're not going to face all of these difficulties, all of these problems by yourself. He says in verse 7, But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate is not going to come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. The thing that he's gonna, it's better that he goes away seems really odd. It's kind of, wait a minute, how can it be better to have Jesus not here? That just doesn't make sense. Because, you know, you always think, well, if I'd only been with him, if I had walked with him for three years, my life would be better. It would be different. It would be good. And Jesus is saying, nope, not true. That's not the way it is. So that's a bit of a shock. So he's fully human and fully God, both at the same time. He could be in one place at one time. And Katie talked about this a couple weeks ago, how then the Holy Spirit can be everywhere, in everyone, as God lets him and as we allow him to. But can I have myself here? Because in this passage, the Holy Spirit is called the Advocate, or the literal words are, the one called beside. So at this point, he's beside. He's going to come alongside them. And some of you have heard the word paraclete. That's what it is here. And the disciples would have known some about him, because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come down on people for a time, and then he'd stop. He wouldn't be on them anymore. They'd prophesy. David danced. You have all kinds of different things that happened. But it was not permanent. It was hit and run almost. Just touch and gone. And he's saying that this new thing is going to now happen. This Holy Spirit that he's sending is going to be with him always. He's sending him. And you can almost see the disciples now instead of saying, what? Leaning in, listening. He's going to be with us always. So he's not going to be like you and go away for a while and then come back and talk to us again? He's always going to be here? Wow, that's pretty interesting. So it's something different. It's new, and he's sending him, and he tells him why in verses 8 to 10. And I'm going to switch to the NASB here because it's more accurate in this instance. He said, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness, And of judgment, of sin, because they do not believe in me, and regarding righteousness, because I am going to the Father, and I'm no longer, are you gonna see me? And regarding judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. The word for convict in this passage means to scrutinize, examine, bring a light, you know, bring its light, expose it, or bring a person to the point of recognizing wrongdoing. That's a pretty scary word. And the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to do this. And he's going to do, convict the world of three different things, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And which one of the disciples would raise their hand first and say, um, you know, a few minutes ago in John 14, you said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Love that. Never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him. What's up with that? Because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. So you can see how they could be a bit confused with hearing One thing a few minutes earlier, and then later, something else. How can this be? And it's because they don't believe in Jesus. They can't receive the Holy Spirit. So how can he convict them? Well, the Holy Spirit is going to be in the followers of Jesus, in the disciples. And he will live in them. And that means the Spirit will sometimes use the followers, like us, as well as them, to convict the world of sin. Now, before you start rubbing your hands and saying, oh yeah, let's do this, let's, let's convict them, let's tell off these non-Christians, because we're right, and they're not. No, that's not what it means. It's not to give them a kick in the pants. Not Calvin and Hobbes, no. Nope. Because <laughs> in Galatians 6, Paul writes how If a fellow believer stumbles, that one who is spiritual should restore them gently. Not with a kick in the pants, but gently. So how much more should we do that with those who don't know Jesus, who haven't met him yet, who haven't seen the love that he gives and that he gave to us to pour out to them? Because no one else likes somebody pointing out their sin and you know what you did? Don't do that to me. You don't want their finger in your face. You don't want them doing that. It's not nice. So it's not our job to condemn others or be their personal Holy Spirit as much as sometimes we might like to. Right, Jeff? <laughs> not that I've ever told him or been my husband's Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I do. I try not to, but it's tempting. So it doesn't fit with Scripture to do that, to convict others, to play the Holy Spirit for them, especially if they don't know him. doesn't work. Because it doesn't fit with do to others as you would have them do to you. If you don't like that finger pointing at you, don't do it to them. And we're going to be judged by how we judge others, so we better be careful. And Jesus said he was without sin. Throw the first stone. I don't have any stones. Not going there. Not good but it also doesn't mean that we allow people to get away with murder or stealing or lying or doing whatever they think is right in their own sight because our society has rules and regulations that should be upheld. Those who don't believe in Jesus have not signed up to follow him, to follow what we have joined up with. We have said we're going to follow his word we're going to study it. We're going to read it. We're going to work through it. We're going to let it convict us. They didn't sign up for that. So it's not our job to whack them over the head with it. No, so it's our job to hold our own self to those standards as God leads us. We can help them to follow God's rules and regs, regulations. Sure. Not God's. So the question is, what do we do when the Spirit convicts us as believers? When we do something against him, something against someone else, or even against ourselves, what do we do? We're supposed to repent, turn back towards God, because when we do something wrong like that, we're going away from him. He wants us to go toward him and do what he says is best. And when we're open and honest and submitting to him, asking for his will instead of our own, we can then be truthful about our failures, about our mistakes, about our sins, instead of trying to hide them and cover them up. And as we're open and vulnerable and being real about life, we let God shine that light into our lives and expose areas he wants to work on. And the world will see it. They'll notice a difference when we live submitting to one another caring about what you care about, loving you just as you are, how God made you, where you are with him, letting him transform us from the inside out. For example, a year after I started following God, I got together with a few friends from college, high school, sorry, high school it was, and we went on a picnic to a lake, place in town that was pretty nice. And as usual, I was sitting, knitting, chatting, knitting. That's what I was doing all the time then. And they decided I wasn't fun anymore. Because I wasn't being snarky about everybody that walked by in their outfits and making comments about their hair and making jokes about what they were doing or not doing. I was a really nasty, snarky, sarcastic, mean person back then. And it made them laugh, so I did it all the more. But in that year, when I had started spending time with God and asking him to make me more like him, he convicted me of that, that that's not what I was supposed to do. So I had tried to cut back and think, God, you've got to do this in me. I can't do it. You've got to do it. And apparently there was a change because not only was I not funny anymore, they thought they were funny to pick me up, knitting and all, and toss me into the water. So it makes a difference. They saw there was something different, and they didn't want it. Thankfully, they didn't kick me out of the synagogue. They didn't kill me, but they did kick me out of their friendship for a while. Slowly worked back in. And sometimes that will happen. But we we need to keep following Jesus, because that's what he said. You're going to want to not do that. You will want to not follow me. But keep doing it. Be concerned with what God is doing in us, in our sin, and our own stuff. And the world will see how we live, see how we act, how we respond when people are not fair to us, when people are mean to us. And they'll see how we react if we hurt someone, if we repent and say, I'm sorry. They'll see the difference. How it is when we follow God's way instead of our way and the world's way. And it will expose their sin to them. Some will hide, some will just respond back, be upset, lash out. That's how it goes. And others will want to join, will want to say, I want who you have. I like what I see. They'll be convicted, and they'll want to be coming like we are because they'll see our righteousness, our living rightly, as it says in verse 10. And regarding righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, and you no longer are going to see me. So neither the disciples nor the non-believers in that time were going to see Jesus again when he left. He wouldn't be there in the flesh. But to see the Holy Spirit working in them, and today it's the same in our lives, they'll see him working in us as we seek to follow his ways, his best, and as we're t- transformed, that will bring about that conversion, hopefully, for most of them. That's what we want. We want them to have what we have because we're different. And in the words of Ray Steadman, when the world looks at the church, it ought to see a different way of life, a different standard of behavior. What it once saw in Jesus, it is now to see in the church, in us. And that's why it's so important Because as they see us, as they see us go through many of the same life issues, because as human beings, we'll all go through the same stuff. We'll go through death and sickness and heartache and heartbreak and joys as well as everything else. How we go through that will make it visible to them for how is it to do it the right way. How can God change their lives? How can he make it so that... They can react the way we do instead of doing it wrong, doing it judgmentally. Like, we could do it as, well, you don't have God, so of course you're not doing it well. No, that's not what we're supposed to do. Not kick them in the teeth, kick them in the pants, any of that stuff. We're not supposed to be climbing the ladder of success and pushing everybody off down below us. But we're supposed to be humble, concerned for others, concerned for their concerns loving them, reacting and responding according to what God has shown us. To let the circumstances of life transform us because we're going to God's word and letting it do that. And just as Jesus said in verse 2, some will see that we're different and feel exposed. The sin made visible. Some will repent and join us, while others Instead of repenting, we want to tear us down, lash out, and destroy us. And we need to let the Holy Spirit deal with that. Let him, through our lives, expose that. Not us yelling at them, telling them they're wrong. His living in us and helping us to live God's ways is part of that. That leaves a third way that he's going to convict the world. This time, The conviction or exposing by the Spirit involves judgment on the spiritual leader of this fallen world, Satan. And there's a day of judgment coming. Jesus talked about it quite a few times, and he said he would separate those who follow him from those who do not. And it would be ugly and sad and horrible for those who don't want to follow him. And we could talk about that for a long time. For now, I think what we want to do is just say, Let's take everybody we can with us. Help them to be in God's camp. To have eternal life. To have no more death. No more tears. No more sorrow. No more sadness. No pain. To be with God all the time. Face to face. Amen. I want that. And there's one more set of three things that Jesus had to tell his disciples about the Holy Spirit that he would be sending. And we find those in verses 13 to 15. He said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he's heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said, the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Jesus said, earlier had said that there was more to teach the disciples. He had more, but they weren't ready for it yet. So it's kind of like when we begin to read, we start with the alphabet, letters. Then we take some letters and put them together for a short little word. And we get to see, spot, run. Run, spot, run. Yay! We don't pick up Anna Karenina and just read it and understand it. No, we start small. We work our way up. It's a process. And that's what the Spirit does with us. He doesn't give us like a fire hose teaching. It's gentle. It's bit by bit what we need, how we can get it, as we can accept it. Because we can't handle drinking from a fire hose. And Jesus knew that. So that's why he said the Spirit will do that. He will lead you through this process. And it took me years to fight through some of my things. I had infertility. Well, still do, if you want to, yeah. And I had trouble with that, because I expected to get married, to have kids, to get grandkids, and that wasn't happening. It's like, come on, God. You say children are a blessing. Why can't I have that blessing? What's wrong with me? And over time, I spent, in God's word, years it took me to get to the point of saying, Okay, not my will, but your will be done. And then to the point where I can say, oh, you want in everything give thanks? You want me to give thanks for that? I don't want to give you thanks for that. But out of obedience, I did. And he led me through that. And he knows what was best. And now I can say thank you, God, because I trust you. I know that you are in charge. I'm not. And I can let go of that and say what do you have next? Instead of, that's what I want and have a temper tantrum and not move any further. It's letting that go, letting God use that, letting him work it through, letting his word speak to us and accepting what he has. And he says that the spirit will lead us through all truth. And secular writers, as Ray Stedman said again, secular writers and philosophers, philosophers, will tell you that there are no absolute standards. No absolutes. Whatever anyone wants to do is right for him to do. There's nothing inherently right or wrong. It's only good or bad in terms of how it affects the individual. That's not what society says. And Jesus says something totally different. He said he was going to continue training and assisting the disciples, getting that information, that wisdom, that knowledge, that truth, the truth that we find in his word. And as Jesus said earlier, in John 14, verse 10, he says here about the spirit, that he doesn't speak his own words. So we don't hear our own things that we want to make up, that we want it to be. We have to listen to God and his word and let it speak to us. And receive it from him because it's not about our own truth or someone else's own truth it's about god's truth and he sets a standard with the 10 commandments as well as with the whole bible did you know that the word bible spells out basic instructions before leaving earth i love that the first time i heard it it's like oh that's why we really study it and get into it those are our instructions And Paul even told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 how important it was. He said, but you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they are true, for you know that you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And the scripture he is talking about there was the Old Testament, believe it or not, because that's what they had. So even the Old Testament is good for us, for knowing what's true. And that's where so much of the prophecies that, God showed the apostles and the disciples about Jesus, that he was the Messiah, came from. And there was a group of people called the Bereans who went, when they heard this news, and they just focused on it and studied it and said, now we believe it's true because we see it in the scriptures. It's so important that we spend that time with the Bible. And the New Testament came about by scholars and Wise people, godly people, spending time praying and studying and checking for what really should be in there. What are true words from Paul and Peter and others who wrote those various things that we have as a New Testament? It took them hundreds of years to do that and to have check, is it right, is it wrong? Does this go in? Does God want not want it in? It helps us because there's so much richness in there. It's useful for teaching what is true. It corrects us when we're wrong. Just like it said, because of the way we respond, others will see. It's that conviction of sin, living righteously, judgment. It's all starting to come full circle again. And it sounds like this is what the Holy Spirit is all about. That's what he's about. That we check these words of the prophets and of what God has given us. And in Second Peter, he said a similar thing in verse one, chapter 1. He said, because of hearing the voice of God at Jesus' baptism, we have greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets, those in the Old Testament. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until a day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. We have that same spirit in us, talking to us, guiding us, leading us. And Peter even wrote, already said, in verse 12 of that book, therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them, and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught. So we remind each other about these things, because sometimes we just kind of get a little foggy or get go down a different path and forget the things that God has guided us in and taught us before. That's the truth. Peter knows that his readers know the truth. He's been teaching about the Son, the Father, the Spirit. And even at the very beginning, when the Spirit came, it was like 50 days after Jesus died. It was the day of Pentecost. And the disciples were in the upper room, and they were praying, and the Spirit came down on them like tongues of flame or fire and began speaking in other languages. And they went out into the streets, where Jews from all over the area, various countries, various languages were, and started just speaking in those languages. And what did the Spirit say? It's in Acts 2. It says, he spoke about the wonderful things God has done. How cool is that? We can speak about the wonderful things God has done. They spoke what God had given them to say. Because the Spirit had given it to them. Just like our verse said. Spirit speaks, he tells us, and then we speak to others. So he passed it on to the disciples. The prophets were the same. They spoke it, they gave it, so we have the Old Testament. Some of them spoke for the New Testament. We have that. And we've come full circle Because we have the conviction. There were those who were there on Pentecost who said, they're just drunk. Paul, Peter's like, it's nine o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk. No. And we see that some people mocked them and weren't going to listen, while others heard it. They were convicted of their sin. They were convicted of righteousness and judgment and said, What should we do, brothers? What should we do? And Peter answered them, Each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the Holy Spirit. the Gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow. And those early believers were part of convicting the world of sin as they lived it out. They lived out the truth that the Spirit had given them, both by the written word and what was spoken to them. And that torch has now been passed to us. The Holy Spirit helps us to fight our way through our own desires, our own wills, and letting him speak the truth to us, letting him transform us and convict us, and then we pass that on to others and see what God will do. Let his spirit glorify him as it speaks through us, as it works through us. And there's so many times in the Bible that we also see that last part of the verse with the spirit telling of things to come. John, who wrote this gospel, also wrote the book of Revelation. Things that have not happened yet. God is still speaking. He's still in us. He's still with us never to leave us. He'll convict us of sin and help us to live rightly and others can then come or they'll choose their own way. Now, is there anyone, as we've, I've been talking, that's come under your heart into your thoughts that you need to pray for today? Someone you need to love. Someone you need to forgive. Someone you need to ask forgiveness of. I'm going to just spend a few moments letting you, God, search your heart, letting him speak to you before we take communion. God, we are so thankful that you sent Jesus and that he then sent the Holy Spirit, that you are with us always, never to leave us, never. Help us to live that way Help us to let you guide us and lead us and let your word work in us. Thank you that you gave us yourself. Thank you that you gave us Jesus. He spent his life serving you, guiding those who would come after him. And he let his body be broken for us. He let his blood be poured out in our place. We can't repay him. But we can say thank you. Help me to live like him. Help us to remember that. And each week we get together. We take some time to remember what he has given for us his body, and his blood. Thank you, God.